I'm Scott Aniel, and welcome to By the Waters of Babylon, a podcast dedicated to discussion of Christianity in a post-Christian culture. Well, I'm glad to be back for a new year of this podcast. I decided to take a break over the summer, and I was encouraged by all the messages asking if I had plans to keep doing the podcast, and, and here we are. A lot has happened since my last episode with the coronavirus pandemic. We're hopefully seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, but I would like to focus this episode on some lessons that we should learn from all of this, what's been going on, and some suggestions of how we should be thinking going forward. I think this time in world history and in church history has hopefully helped us to learn a couple of things. Number one, hopefully we are learning that science is limited. I'm obviously very thankful for science. I'm thankful for medical advancements that improve quality of life. I'm thankful for technology. I'm thankful to live in the era that we do. But what this pandemic has, I I hope, helped us to see is that science can't solve everything because it is based on human observation and humans are limited. The scientific method, by definition, is inductive reasoning. Scientists collect as much data as they can, and they run as many tests as they can, and then they draw logical inductions from that data. But by definition, inductive reasoning can never prove with certainty. We may not have sufficient data. I think we've seen that over and over again during this pandemic. There may be other factors involved that we didn't foresee in the testing and then in the conclusions. Or something might enter the situation later that was not present when we first started collecting data and running tests. Or or we might draw the wrong conclusions because of our own human fallible limitations. At the end of the day, science is simply really, really educated guesswork. And sometimes we just don't have enough information, the information changes, or we draw the wrong conclusions. I think sometimes when people hear the word science or scientific consensus, that kind of language, they think, well, it's settled, it's certain. But that's not necessarily the case. We're seeing all of this during the pandemic, and hopefully the lesson that we're taking from this is to be very thankful for science and medicine and technological advancements but ultimately not to put our trust in these things. At the end of the day, God is in control, and we should work to understand God's world and improve quality of life and heal the sick and meet needs, but ultimately we should run to the only one who is sovereign and trust him. Humans have limitations. God does not. But there's a second lesson that I hope we are learning during this time, and that is the fact that churches are being forced to think through their ecclesiology. This this period has forced us to wrestle through various ecclesiological questions like, what is corporate worship? What is the purpose of the Lord's Supper? What is really important in the church? Unfortunately, I think this period has revealed a lot of problems with how many Christians conceive of the church, but but it is a good thing that we are being forced to think through our ecclesiology. And my prayer is that is that this time might help some churches to move away from a model of church centered on elaborate programs and professionally produced productions, which we have not been able to do, 
to more of a focus on simple, biblically-guided worship and attention to edification and relationships. That is the core of what God expects of us in the local church, and I, I pray that this time is teaching us to refocus our attention on what God has prescribed for the church in his word. Third, we are being forced to think carefully about the relationship between churches and government. We have been spoiled in the West. We've been spoiled in America. And the pandemic is forcing us to think about what what would happen, what would it look like if the government began to clamp down on the church? What would it look like for the church if we began to experience persecution from the government? We are being forced to rethink these things. The, the Bible is clear in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, that we are supposed to pray for kings and all who are in high positions so that, and this is key, I think this is a, this is a key passage that explains the relationship that we should hope for in the culture around us and, and with relationship to the government. We should pray for the government. Why? So that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That should be our goal. That should be our desire. We want to live a peaceful life as Christians, as churches. We want to live a quiet life, godly and and dignified in every way. And we're being forced to think about this. In, In the last episode of this podcast, just before taking a break, I talked about the biblical principles that should govern our relationship to to government. Things like the fact that God created government himself. And when government operates in its God-ordained roles, it is serving God's will. Romans 13 calls government authorities who are doing what they are supposed to do ministers of his. And so, principle number two, Romans 13, 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So so those principles are clear. But now we're being forced to think about, well, what if, what if the government commands us to do things that are contrary to the word of God? Well, that third principle is key. When the government does that, When the government commands us to do something that contradicts what God has clearly prescribed in his word, we must obey God rather than men, just like Peter said in Acts chapter 5. However, as I emphasized in that last episode, and I encourage you to go listen to it if you haven't, if that's the case, we must make certain that it really is a contradiction. It really conflicts God's law. Number two, when we determine that it is a contradiction, the example of Peter in Acts chapter 5 is that it is passive resistance. It's not taking up arms. It's not vitriolic defiance with sarcasm and pushing it back against the government in an ungodly way. Number three, it is always for the sake of the gospel. That should be our key. And number four, we must not do any wrong and then say, well, we're, we're resisting persecution. No, we, ha- we have to make sure that we are righteous in what we are doing. And then number five, it is always respectful. If we must resist the government, we must do so in a respectful way, but never backing down from the truth. But of course, the problem is that some of these things are not so clear. We're being bombarded with all sorts of expert opinions. And there's no question that this has become a a political issue. 
and politicians are making decisions maybe not for medical reasons, but actually for political reasons, and we're not always sure about that. We definitely need wisdom. We need wisdom from the Lord and make make decisions that are pleasing to the Lord. So so what should we do? That that seems to be the question on many Christians' mind. Leadership is is wisely asking questions concerning what kinds of social distancing remains important and should we, should we be singing? Uh, there are articles that have been coming out that, that singing produces large volume of airborne particles, and so perhaps churches should refrain from singing. Uh, perhaps we shouldn't gather at all. All of, the, all of this advice, all of these expert opinions are, are, are coming out. And, and really, as I mentioned earlier, the truth is that the, the quote-unquote science behind the risk of infections with this particular virus is still in flux. Even the medical experts are debating about what needs to happen. But it, it seems to me that there's a question that's not being addressed, that's not being acknowledged as we move further and further along, and particularly as it becomes more and more political and actually the narrative is being changed. It seems to me that most, if not all, of the discussions about churches reopening and gathering, etc., begin with the assumption that our number one goal must be to prevent all and any sickness. It seems to me that's sort of a that's sort of an unstated assumption. Our goal should be to make sure that nobody gets sick. Well, if that's our goal, then we probably shouldn't gather. We probably shouldn't sing because this this appears to be a highly contagious virus. But but here here's the important point. Preventing all sickness was never the original goal and cannot be the goal now. Here's why. From the very beginning of all of this, back at the end of March, I, I have been personally convinced that a temporary quarantine was a wise thing to do, particularly because all of the available data, especially in those early weeks, indicated that COVID-19 is worse than the typical flu in, in two key ways. Number one, it's more infectious. And number two, especially in those early weeks, it seemed to be more deadly, particularly for a certain demographic, and that's key. COVID-19 appears to be more deadly than the, the traditional seasonal flu, but primarily for elderly people and and other otherwise unhealthy individuals. Now, that's not to minimize their lives. Uh, we don't want people over 80 to die. We don't want anyone to die. And, and even among those, most of the deaths, as data continues to be uh, collected, appear to be from those who have underlying condi- conditions. The reason that we quarantined, shut down for a month, originally was stated to be this, that we are making sure that our country, our health professionals were prepared because of the dire projections and the uncertainty of the, of the disease. In particular, as you, as you heard over and over again, even in the media, the original goal was to, quote-unquote, flatten the curve. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means not to prevent all infections. To flatten the curve means to spread out the infections over a longer period of time so that the healthcare system would not be overtaxed. The, the point was, if the number of hospitalizations spiked too quickly, rising above the medical capacity, more people would have died simply due to lack of care. That's what happened early in Italy, for example. 
So the goal was to spread out the infections, not to prevent all infections, but to spread them out so that the healthcare system would not be overtaxed and more people uh, people would not die simply because they couldn't get care. You probably saw charts in those early months about what would happen if there was a, a, a quick spike that would rise above the healthcare system capacity. And so the goal was to keep the, the number uh, lower than the healthcare system capacity. But, to, but, but in, in both cases, the number of people who would be infected by the virus was the same, essentially. The difference was... The, the, the compactness and the spiking of how many people would be infected. And the fact of the matter is that we did that. Our healthcare system was never taxed. People got sick. Some people unfortunately and tragically died, but none died due to the lack of care. But the important point again is that, that the same number of people get the virus in both scenarios. The only difference is in how quickly the number of people get infected. But the more recent narrative now by my media and some politicians is that we must stay closed, we must take all these extra measures until we can prevent all infection. And, and that narrative seems to be now assumed by many Christians as churches reopen. But, but that was never the original purpose of the shutdown. The purpose of flattening the curve was not to prevent infections, but to spread them out over a broader time. The fact of the matter is that in a sin-cursed world, there will always be disease and there will always be death. This is, this is not insensitive this is not making light of people who get the disease and who die, but it is a sad reality. We, we can never fully escape this reality, and this is not a new reality with COVID-19. This is how it has been since God expelled Adam and Eve from the garden. And actually, the fact of the matter is, and this becomes more and more true as more data is collected and as we move further along, is that for young and healthy people, that there is, there is virtually no risk of actually dying. In fact, getting the virus is a good thing. It creates what's called herd immunity. The more people who get the virus and develop antibodies, the less it will spread to others who haven't had it. The chance that a young and healthy person who, con who contracts COVID-19 will die or even exhibit terrible symptoms is incredibly low. And this information should inform our response as churches. When, as we regather our concern should not be to completely stop any and all infections. That was never the original goal, and it's actually impossible. Rather, I believe our goal should be to protect the especially vulnerable, such as elderly people in our congregations, those with pre-existing conditions. Let's protect those people. We don't want them to die. We don't want them to get the disease. But for young and healthy people, we really can and should go about our, our normal church ministry once again. And this is where perhaps comparing COVID-19 with the seasonal flu is helpful. I believe that it's different. COVID-19 does appear to be slightly more contagious than the flu and results in slightly higher percentages of death, especially for the elderly. But people who are medically vulnerable already 
take special care during the flu, flu season. Elderly people, people who are who, whose immune systems are compromised, they, they, they typically take care during the flu season, and they, they should do the same thing now. And just as young, healthy people don't necessarily take a whole lot of extra precautions during the flu season, we don't necessarily need to take unnecessary strict precautions now. Uh, we ought to wash your hands. Be careful, especially around around elderly people. But the fact of the matter is that the Bible commands us, do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together. Uh, while it perhaps was prudent to temporarily quarantine for the good of our neighbor, we accomplished the only objective possible, flattening the curve. And so it's time to regather, it's time to sing, it's time to mutually edify one another. Perhaps this is a good time to review the underlying biblical principle that gives this podcast its title, By the Waters of Babylon. We, we are living in a sin-cursed world, and as God's people, we are exiles in a strange land. We ought to obey the word of the Lord, the commands that God has given us to gather by the river to worship. We shouldn't expect that the world will understand why we do what we do, why we gather, why we worship the way that we do. In fact, we should anticipate a growing antagonism by the world. And if this pandemic has taught us anything, it is that we need to root ourselves in the word of God, seek his wisdom, love our neighbors, spread the good news of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, and ultimately obey faithfully what God has commanded for us to do as his people. Thank you for listening to By the Waters of Babylon. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or other podcasting services. And if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a rating. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash scottannual. I blog at religiousaffections.org. And for articles, audio, and speaking itinerary, visit scottannual.com. Join me next time as we discuss issues related to Christianity in a post-Christian culture.